Whoa, whoa. Are you busting out an energy drink at uh, 1037 at night? I am, I am. This is um, this is my life story and it could take a while. <laughs> <laughs> oh, jeez. Do you wanna make a coffee? Yeah, I probably should. All right, well, you're all powered up. Yeah. Monster energy here. You got your coffee, so we're ready got to rock coffee. and roll now, eh? All right, so this episode here, we're going to get into Kevin's story about how this whole thing went down. So I guess let's start at the beginning. When okay. when did you start, when did you notice that you had a weight problem or when did you start thinking that you were any different from anyone else or I think some of my first recollections of being different or being bigger or larger than other people are starting to recognize that I realized that was probably somewhere around fourth or fifth grade maybe sixth grade I can't remember exactly what years it was but there was a few situations that I remember and a few points that I remember from back that long ago could have been even a, yeah around, around fourth grade or so fifth grade um, one of those times was when our school was going to a field trip to the pool and the first thing we did was all got dressed and the change room and came out onto the pool deck and we all sat down in a big group before we got into the pool and the whole class was there. And it was the first time I remember where I looked around and I realized that I looked different than all the other kids. It's the first time really that I remember sitting with my shirt off with everybody else out of a bunch of other guys, basically. Like, I didn't care about what the girls looked like, whatever, their bodies are totally different. But I remember looking at all the other guys and just look, thinking and remembering um, that I looked different or looked bigger than the other guys. And I was one of the last ones out of the change room. So I strategically placed myself near the back of the class, near the back mm -hmm. of the room. I could see everybody else sitting there, but I couldn't really see myself. Or they couldn't see me. I could see myself. <laughs> that's I was really, there. I was that's totally there. probably a good yeah, thing. This is you deep. don't want to be having really an out-of-body experience. That's right, exactly. I've... That's how bad it was. <laughs> I wanted to be gone out of there as fast as I could. Um, no, I, people couldn't see me. They were all facing the teacher at the front, and I was sitting at the back looking at everybody else. So I was definitely there. Um, and I just remember looking around at the class, looking around at other guys and thinking like, okay, well, I'm sitting here and I got this little this little extra role here or whatever. Like I wasn't a mm -hmm. huge kid. I look back at pictures of that time and I wasn't a big kid, uh, but I remember being just a little bit bigger than the rest of them at that point. Um, one of the other things that I remember, it was right around the same time, probably fifth grade. Um, we were sitting in class and I remember a kid named James came up to me and grabbed my chest like it was a radio, tuning the radio <laughs> thing and he yelled to the class, Tune in Tokyo, you know, so he grabbed my chest there like that and did a little twist. I guess he called it a titty twister, whatever you want to call it. Um, but the whole class saw and the whole class recognized it, right? Did and they laugh? Everybody laughed everybody and thought it was laughed. the funniest thing in the world. And I laughed at the time too. And then within half an hour, it was during lunchtime. It was an inside day at lunchtime. And I remember before lunch was even out, I had faked a stomach ache and thought I was sick in my mind. And called my mom to come pick me up that day because I was sick. But I knew that in my own mind, it was because kids were bugging me, mm -hmm. making fun of me. James had made a fool of me, I guess, at the time. Mm -hmm. And I felt like I just wanted to get out of there as fast as I could not be there. Um, and those are kind of some of the earliest recollections I have with being bigger than other kids and bigger, bigger than anybody else. It's crazy how you remember grade five. I mean, you're 40 years old now. You remember being mm -hmm. like what 10 no grade five yeah 10 yeah about 10 right yeah about 10 yeah so 30 years ago you remember it was an inside day i remember it was an inside day know? at lunchtime yeah, i was sitting there at my desk i remember i was at the I, was, I sat at the very back row i was eating my lunch and it was the very beginning of lunch hour and yeah james came out to me and so those those were kind of the two kind of the two earliest recollections i have of being made fun of for being bigger and I wasn't really, that big of a kid. See, at the end of the day, do you really think he was making fun of you for being bigger at that time? Or do you think that was just in your mind that you knew you were bigger? And Yeah, it totally that? could have been really, that too. Like, I mean, James, if you're out there. <laughs> Don't say any last names. <laughs> but, but you know what I mean? Yeah. Like how you... I don't think James everything. would even remember the situation. He probably not. has no recollection of this oh, of whatsoever. Yeah. I can name 17 kids in that class because of that situation because I remember looking around, looking at them, laughing at mm -hmm. me. And I could, I could remember 
a bunch of the kids that were in that class because, like I said, they were all looking at me, and I was, and and I, like, I was looking at them, looking at me, in laughing. Tokyo, it's right. because I'm chubby. That's right. Yeah. And maybe that wasn't. Maybe it was because he just wanted to give you. Yeah, you know, just wanted to fill miracle. me up. Just wanted to fill me up. No, I don't know. Maybe <laughs> he wanted to give me per- whatever it was. But that's what I felt in my own mind was that's the reason that he did that, right? Um, I remember, like I said, I was I was younger. Um, I didn't have a huge problem with my, like I wasn't super overweight. I wasn't super obese. I look back at pictures and I was a little bit rounder, I guess, than most mm-hmm. of the kids. Um, I remember as a kid, we never really thought about eating healthy. Um, my mom's always been a trainer and aerobic instructor and health and fitness was kind of her life, but we weren't indoctrinated in that. We weren't pushed that way. We weren't, you know, forced to eat always healthy and things like mm-hmm. that. And I gravitated towards the sweets and the pastries and the desserts and things like that. And I remember for a lot of years being jealous of my brother, for example, because he wasn't really a sweets guy or a sugar guy. He never had a weight problem growing mm-hmm. up. And I was always jealous that he could go a meal and didn't care to have the dessert. Sometimes he liked it, sometimes he didn't. But um, and I, but I remember being jealous a lot of times thinking like, okay, I just had a piece of cake or I just had some, a bowl of ice cream. And there's one piece of cake left and I got to have that. That's mm-hmm. mine. I'm going to have that for sure. That's, I'm not, that's no way that's going to waste. And there's no way it's sitting until tomorrow. Whereas I know that people around me weren't thinking because they're just sat there. No one else really yeah. cared, right? But I remember so many times thinking that in my own mind and, and always gravitating towards the, the sweets or the, the pastries and things like that, the cakes, the baking. Um, and like I said, I was always a little bit more round as a kid. I wasn't huge. But that obviously changed as I got as I got older and got more towards my adult years, um, where that all caught up to me. Um, so, like I said, my mom was a weight trainer. She was um, a fitness instructor, and she also taught, and she still does um, the courses to become a weight trainer, become a trainer. Is that was this when you were a teenager, or when like? So the tune in Tokyo thing, this was, this was young. <laughs> this was yeah, young. This that like, was like, this, we're, we're grade four or five. And so up. like beginning of high school mm-hmm. times, what, what did everything look like at that point? Like, were you overweight then? Were you, so, was a, so yeah, so it was a little bit, were you, yeah. So going through high school, I was always active. So I always played, played sports. So I always played basketball. I didn't see, I didn't jump into the school teams until grade 12 but i always wanted to but i always felt in my mind that number one i wasn't good enough so i didn't even try out number two i was too big to play sports but i still played them all the time i played at lunchtime i played after school with my friends i played you know we my friends had we had a key to the church we'd go there play all the time Mm -hmm. we'd always go play sports play basketball by skiing with my mom or snowboarding whatever it was i was always into the sports but in my own mind i always felt i wasn't good enough and i i was too big to play everybody else was smaller than me I'm too big to play. I can't play. Finally, in grade 12, I'm like, forget it. I'm going to play at least one. I played basketball in grade 12. I was going to play one year and do it. Um, but I still always managed that with food. I still always, food was always the top of my mind. Mm-hmm. And it was not healthy food. It was very, very rarely healthy food. I remember our school had a school store, um, the den. We'd always go in there. We'd work, when I had my accounting class, we worked there. But every day was a chocolate bar and a bag of Doritos, zesty cheese Doritos, and a can of Coke. Like that was every day when I worked in the den. That's exactly what mm-hmm. I had for lunches when I was growing up through high school. It was um, usually like a, a, a nice sandwich, a bag of chips, some kind of a candy, a can of pop, you know, maybe a piece of fruit in there. So it wasn't like we were eating, we weren't eating great. We weren't eating terrible either, but it was always on my own that I'd find the terrible food. It was yeah. always on my own that I'd eat the junk food. I would find it in the house and I would eat it in my room, put the garbage somewhere else so people wouldn't see it. Um, there was it, always... Um, after school all the time, I'd either run to the store or I'd go home and eat something at home before everybody else got home. I always gravitated towards um, those kind of, the, well, the, the unhealthy foods, the delicious foods. <laughs> I'd get home from school, I'd make a plate of nachos and I'd have a large, big cup of peach juice with it to, to wash it down. Yeah. Or, you know, a nice cereal, a salad bowl full of mini wheats or <laughs> other types of cereal, right? So it was always like, not healthy foods yeah right and so i'd fill myself up right after school and then dinner would come and i'd fill up after dinner or whatever now the weight didn't really catch up to me a lot until i stopped being so active like i was always playing sports and i was always doing things but it didn't really catch up to me until later on in my life when um like after i got married basically but before that i was always very active but i still i always had an affinity for food i always wanted food i always thought about it um 
And I guess one of the biggest problems, and it always made me feel comfortable. Mm-hmm. Not physically, like, not physically, but emotionally. Physically mm-hmm. comfortable. I wouldn't eat nice food. I wouldn't eat good food. And so I never felt good after eating it. But in my mind, I always felt emotionally comfortable with food. It always set my mind at ease. and always made me feel better for the feelings that I had about who I was and how, how big I was or how, how not able I was to do things because of my size. I always find that comfort food. What, what were you going to say too? you were talking about your mom, how your mom was a fitness trainer and stuff where I kind of cut you off. I don't mm-hmm. know if you were going into anything specific there. About that. I started but, to, but then I kind of came back again okay. to earlier years, I guess. From that. So my mom was always a fitness trainer. She was always an instructor, but again, she taught the trainers, the courses that it required to become a trainer. So, you know, I'm not sure in, in my own mind. So there was a time where I took some fitness courses and weight training courses and I thought it was cool and I thought I'd get into it. And you know, as I grew up, I real I, I thought to myself, and I always figured that that was my mom's way, maybe, of helping me to recognize that I was getting bigger or I was bigger, and I wanted to bring that back down again and be healthier, whether it was with lifestyle or with food. So, in fitness knowledge courses and in, in health and nutrition courses and in you know weight training courses. Now, I'm not saying that my mom was doing this specifically and saying, I want you to do these because I want you to realize that you need to be smaller. Mm-hmm. I think she just was trying to help me just do something be and, be, and be healthier, right? Yeah. Which is fine. It totally, you know, but in my own mind, I thought to myself, like, I'm really big and she wants me to be smaller. And this mm-hmm. is what, her way of doing that or her way of being, subtly doing that, which is a great way to do it really. Yeah. But it's my own mind that tells me these things. And then my own mind that kind of skewed that, I never have, I would never hold um, a grudge against that because that's my own problem. That's my mm-hmm. own self um, not recognizing that I needed to be better mm-hmm. and putting that blame on somebody else. But I, I never would would really do that. I never thought that that was the case at all. I never would hold a grudge against her for that, definitely. Um, I think if that was the way that she wanted to do that, that was a great way of doing it. Mm-hmm. It was just me not recognizing that and me not um, taking advantage of that opportunity to learn about what is important with health and fitness and with your own bodies, right? Did so. you, when you took that, that was a course? It was a couple Did of you, them, yeah. was it, was it um, like a nutritional thing or just a physical, like? More physical, like more learning about the body. So there was mm-hmm. some, there was some nutrition involved with that. The basic fitness knowledge, there was some the knowledge about, about health and about nutrition, mostly about the body, how it reacts to certain foods and about learning the muscle groups and learning about different parts of your body and the muscle groups in the body. And then the weight training courses was more about training your body to be healthier and things like that. But that was mostly about weight training and physical fitness and things like that. So I did take foods and nutrition courses in school. Um, but I but actually doesn't remember. I do remember this though. There was one time where we were in this course and someone else was teaching it this day. And I don't remember if it was the same class or a different class. Someone else was teaching it. And there was a time, and this is a... I was probably 17, 16 or 17. And one of the things we were talking about in that class was body composition and how males and females have a different body composition. And I remember being in a group, I was the youngest one there. They were all, it was probably eight of us or nine of us in the room. And taking this course, there was, they were in their 20s and 30s. A couple of people maybe were older than that. And I was like 17. And I remember talking about body composition and I felt uncomfortable right from the beginning because I'm the youngest, but I'm also the biggest. And so I'm all, all I'm already feeling like, okay, here we go. Like I'm already feeling uncomfortable about this. And one of the activities that they had us do is they had us grab onto the front of our shirts right where our belly button was. And on the count of three, we all had to pull our shirt up to show just our belly and where our belly button was. And it was like, just to kind of show that males and females bodies are different and they look different and they have to be treated differently. But their belly buttons are in different areas or different parts in the body. And I remember this horrible feeling that like, as soon as I pulled my shirt up and I looked around the room and everybody's these fitness people and they're all in great shape. Mm-hmm. And here I am with this belly and, you know, not looking like I just came from KFC, like <laughs> not looking great. I wasn't huge at the time, but by any means, like I wasn't a big, big guy at the time. I was probably 215, 220 pounds, yeah. maybe, maybe which even smaller. Basically like where you're at now. Yeah. But everybody is, else was like 160 yeah. probably. And you know, and, and fit. <clears throat> and so for me, I, I pulled my shirt up and I looked around the room and everybody's got flat stomachs. I'm like, oh. so I pulled mine down as soon as I could. But mm-hmm. I remember that point at that point, even just being super embarrassed about 
not being the same as everybody mm-hmm. in the room. And these are feelings that I've had all the time, you know, going with my buddy snowboarding, going with my friends, shopping for clothes and jackets and, you know, going anywhere basically and always being the guy that was a little bit bigger. Mm-hmm. And it was sometimes it was quite a bit bigger depending on what point in my life I was at, but always feeling like no matter where I was, always the bigger guy, always the bigger person. I got to sit in the front seat because there's three people in the back and not all three of them are going to fit if I fit and yeah. sit in the back. I got to sit in the front, which is great. Riding shotgun's great, but <laughs> not because you're the biggest guy there. Yeah. Right. And so there's so many different points in my life and so many different things that I can think of off the top of my head that that always made me feel like you are different from other people, no matter what. And, and not that people treated you that way. Mm-hmm. Not that people like were going snowboarding. And I commend my buddies who I went with all the time who never, ever acted like, hey, you can't, you know, we're going, to, we're going through the, the, the park, the snowboard park right now. We're going to do some tricks and stuff. We're going to do whatever. And maybe you should record us because it's going to be easier for us and not for you because you're a bigger guy. Like they've never treated me like that. They never thought that. Um, but always in my own mind, I always thought that, like, hey, let me just record you guys. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, I go to do it, and I fall and break my shoulder. Yeah. So maybe I shouldn't have anyways. Yeah. But, you know, there was uh, a lot of times like that. Do you think after you did that, do you think after you broke your shoulder that you were less um, inclined to do physical things? Like, did that is that when For things sure. changed absolutely. as far as, like, when you slowed down? Yeah, absolutely. There was a time where you become worried about your your own body and worried about, like, hey, maybe I'm too big to do these things. Maybe I just shouldn't be doing them. Right. And I think that was one of the last times I snowboarded for probably, and we used to go all the time. We used to go a couple nights a week for years. And after that, I probably didn't go for seven or eight years. And then I went once. And then the last time I went again was like a couple weeks ago. So Mm -hmm. that point on was a big part of that for sure. Was feeling like, I don't know where I was going with that before about, I guess it wasn't more about always feeling no matter where we were, who we were with, who it was family or friends, always feeling like I'm I'm a bigger guy. Nobody, not that anybody treated me that way, yeah. but because in my own mind, I could look around and see that. And it limits very much what you do with yourself and how you treat yourself and yeah. what you do. Like I always, and it transcribes into everything when it comes to school, when it comes to work, applying for jobs. You know, I remember many, many times looking at, I want to apply for this job. I'm not going to do that because as soon as I go in for the interview, I'm going to be disqualified for it anyways, right? And actually, that that actually was perfect. Perfect example it reminds me. I actually applied for Corrections Canada to be a corrections mm-hmm. officer, and I went through three different levels of of training, and I went through, or not training, but of interviews, yeah. and went through the whole process, it was like a six month process, going in there for interviews, and being told at the end of it that I can't continue on because my physical fitness wasn't good enough. And it's weird when you think about it because those kind of things and those kind of triggers to you should force you to be like, propel okay. Propel you forward. Right, exactly. Right. You should propel yeah. you to, I'm going to the gym, I'm going to work out, I'm going to eat properly, but it doesn't. All it does is actually in a lot of ways, if you have a food addiction or if you aren't confident in yourself enough. If you're waiting for an excuse to happen, right, exactly. you're going to take too. it. Yeah. yeah. And so that was another excuse of me like, okay, well, forget it. I'm going to Burger King and I'm getting a couple of Whoppers because it's Wednesday. Yeah. Right? And that's what I'm going to do because that makes me feel better. Yeah. Right? And so, and, and I, I can't put my finger on how many times I would do that. I would look at, and, and after that happened, I remember many, many times looking at jobs and looking at opportunities and thinking, I'm not going to bother interviewing, I'm not going to bother applying for that or interviewing for that because I know I'm 30, 40 pounds overweight and I'm yeah. not going to get the job. They're going to look at someone else who's physically fit and they're going to, they're going to, hire them because they know that they're more disciplined, that they mm. eat better, whatever it might be. So I disqualified myself right off the top. Like, forget it. You're not good enough for that job. Don't bother. Right. And that severely limits your opportunity to advance in anything in life. Yeah. Really. You know, I thought a lot of times about going back to school and I thought, well, what's the point? I'm not good enough anyways. You know, and, and a lot of that comes back to the amount of work that I did in high school or lack of work I did in high yeah. school with my education. But a lot of that comes back to not feeling like you're good enough because you have been told in certain times mm-hmm. that you're not good enough, right? And they were probably right. They were probably right in that sense that that if there was a physical fitness test to get into corrections, I probably wouldn't have passed it, right? And so I'm not blaming them, obviously, for disqualifying me in that position. I'm blaming myself for not fixing the problem afterwards and making it worse, really. Yeah, instead right? of taking it and taking that information mm-hmm. and creating a negative self-talk about it 
instead of doing that, turning it around and being like, look, actually, I'm going to prove you guys wrong. Yeah. And watch what I can do, right? And then I remember just before that, one of the friends that I that was telling me that I should get into corrections or should try it out because he was a corrections officer was telling me, it's super easy. The, the actual the fitness part of it is probably the easiest part. If you get in and do it, it's actually quite easy to do it. Well, this guy's probably point. 145 pounds and six feet soaking wet, right? He's, for him, super, super easy. For me, yeah. he was 230, 240 okay. pounds at the time, maybe maybe 250, okay. maybe. Um, for me, I'm like, yeah, for you, it's super easy because mm. you can run up that mountain right there and not, and not have your breath, you know, and be out of breath by the time you get to the top, whereas I can't climb a set of stairs without huffing and puffing, right? right? So that was a huge thing for me is understanding that I should have actually just been like, I'm going to the gym, I'm going to start eating better, and mm -hmm. I'm going to get better. But it wasn't that. That totally was a deterrent. Was that before or that. after your, your what was it? Gyms and gym tan laundries? <laughs> <laughs> Buff and tan? Buff and tan. That was uh, before, but no. Yes, that was before Buff and Tan. Oh, okay. So there was a so, point now where, yeah. So, okay. right. And so it was interesting. So there was, there's times where my weight had kind of fluctuated up and down, ebbed and flowed 20 to 30 pounds here and there. One of the times where I felt really good and I was, I was, I was working at Sport Mart. I know you love that name, Sport Mart. <laughs> it sounds like and it's so just not real. Me, yeah, exactly. <laughs> me and a buddy of mine, Mike. So my mom owned a gym in Chilliwack and she gave me a key and I'd go out there in the evening and work out or to go work out and to do my, what I wanted to do. So, um, me and a buddy at work, Mike Conley, we'd go there a couple times a week and we'd go there and we'd start working out. We called it buff and tan because she had some tanning beds in there. So we'd get, we'd get buff and then we'd go for a tan. Okay. So it's you know, perfectly obvious why they would call it that. <laughs> but, um, so we did that for a couple months, dropped probably 30 pounds was maybe around 210, 215, started to feel really good. And then I don't know what happened. Oh, she ended up selling the gym. Ended up selling the gym, sold all our stuff. Your mom's really going. taking a beating in this. Uh, I know. No, here. this has nothing Sorry, to do with mom. mom. This has nothing right? to do with you. This is not your fault. This is none of this is your fault. I, he could have went for walks after. I this. could have figured out a different gym. <laughs> I could have figured out a different gym. So no, nothing against mom here. Um, but again, that was another excuse <laughs> to throw it all out the throw window. Throw it out the window. Yeah. Throw it out sure. the window. Um, and then, so there was a point where. Things got worse, obviously. There's mm -hmm. a point where I went from being around that 230 now when I got married. I was to 2005. Did you... Sorry. Yeah, you're going to go back. Yeah. Did you ever do any... Before that point, before you got married and stuff like that, did you ever, did you ever do Weight Watchers or any kind of weight loss? Or like, Not did you ever lot, try no. diet? It was did more... you do anything? Like, did, did you ever, you know... Yeah, so... Funny you say that, and I was actually going to talk. I was actually going to come back a little bit and talk a little bit about this buff and tan stuff and all this other stuff at the time. So, um, not set structured um, weight loss regimens mm -hmm. or weight loss programs. I tried the the low fat diet, American, you know, the standard American mm -hmm. diet, and I coupled that with working out and things like that. But here's the thing about that that's funny though. For so many years, so we'd go to do this, we'd go to work out and then we'd be done at like midnight or 1230 because it was after the gym's closed, after we were done work, we'd go out there, it was late at night and I would drop Mike off at his truck and what would I do? Go get food. I'd go to McDonald's, get a couple <laughs> cheeseburgers and a, and a milkshake or completely whatever. Completely undo uh, everything. Completely undo everything, right? Yeah. I was still but losing least... a bit of weight because I was still active and yeah. still doing the things. But the point of this is, I think, is that even though I was doing all these things, still in my own mind and in my own head, I still had that affinity for food yeah. and the addiction to food and that was the biggest problem throughout my whole journey up until now was not fixing the problem that was in my head mm -hmm. not fixing the problem of that addiction so you can be active you can do all your things and this is really why all that food addiction never really caught up into, to me until later on in life was because I was always active and I was always doing things there was never a point in my life where I would just sit and do nothing I was always mm -hmm. involved with something involved sports up until right after I got married basically played hockey men's league for a year or two years actually and then after that it was like nothing and there's a bunch of reasons for that and things that happened whatever but um that was I think that's a major point of what I'm trying to say here is that like for many many years even though I was active and you know we would go snowboarding all the time the first thing we did when we were done snowboarding we'd go to we'd go to First Ave in Vancouver on the way home from Grouse Mountain or Seymour Mountain and we'd have Burger King yeah every time right we always do that we always have a couple burgers and fries or whatever and and you know, there was, and I would always be the driver of that. I was always wanting to do that. And every 
every night during high school, every weekend, we'd sit at home, we'd play James Bond on the Nintendo 64, and we'd go to Burger King, we'd get poutine and junior whoppers, right? We, it was always around food. Everything was always yeah. around food. And, you know, I'd always have, if I'd, go, if I'd be the one that ran out to get the, get the food, I'd get everybody their food and also get myself a little extra mm-hmm. and a little extra or something, you know, an extra thing of fries and I'd eat it on the way home so nobody saw right. me eating it, right? And so there's so much. Do you think there was anything going on in your mind while you were doing that? Like, was there something you were trying to comfort? Your, like, we try to comfort ourselves with food, but it's interesting. It's like, was there something you were trying to escape from at that point? Or is there anything that you can, like, recall that that drove that? Or was it just like, I just need food. I need carbs. No, I, I think, need sugar. I, need I think there's this thing, like, in teenagers or in young people where you kind of want to be rebellious almost, right? Like, as a teenager, when your parents say don't go do this. The first thing you do is go do that, mm-hmm. right? Because you want to find your own path and you want to do yeah. your own thing. And for some reason in my own mind, I thought the exact same thing. Well, like if I'm going to get everybody food, they're all getting this amount. I got to beat them and just have a little bit more. <laughs> like for some reason, I just always felt like, I don't know, like on the way home, I, like I'm hungry, but I can't wait. Yeah. Right. I want to have something now to fill myself up until I get home and then I can eat everybody else. And that's great. Yeah. And that actually carried over big time after, you know, even after I got married, for example. After I got married, like, I'd be on the way home from work. I'd stop at the store and grab, or, or a restaurant or whatever, and I'd grab a couple cheeseburgers on the way home. On the way home to have dinner. Yeah. Right, so here I am now. I'm not even hungry. Right. But my wife's made a dinner, so I'm going to eat it. Mm-hmm. So I have dinner. And then for many years, for many years, we'd have a second dinner. Like, so we'd have dinner at 5.30, and then we'd sit around and watch TV for a while and mm-hmm. hang out. And then I'd be like, well, okay, I'm hungry. There's a McDonald's I can see from here. I can see Dairy Queen from here. <laughs> Which one do we want to have tonight for our second dinner? Yeah. Right, so we'd go and we'd get... And so what I would do is I would get us a two cheeseburger meal, but I'd also get an extra two cheeseburgers. So I'd eat those two cheeseburgers on the way home and then we'd sit there and I'd, we'd eat a meal together. Yeah. So really I'm having three dinners a night or sometimes four dinners a night. Mm-hmm. Not, not four huge dinners, but two good sized dinners and yeah, too many like dinners. Yeah, add up the calories right? for that. And add that's the calories just, just dinner, for those dinners. That's just dinner. Right? Yeah. And so if I'm, so I'm going to school, for example, I was in school full time for a year and at lunchtime I'd either bring food with me but that wasn't ever enough. I'd always go to the store and grab a few extra things. I'd mm-hmm. grab a, a bag of chips and a chocolate bar and a Coke. That I, and I'd eat my lunch that I brought leftovers from the night before. Yeah. Right? And so I'm like, oh, this is great. This pasta from the night before is great. Uh, but I still got to have a sweet. Yeah. I still got to have a salty. <clears throat> and I still got to have a drink. Right? And it was never a no sugar drink. It was always the full sugar drinks or whatever. Right? So there was just something in my mind all the time where I just needed to have that. And so I did it. Right. And so when I, after I got married and I stopped doing things, I got the stresses of life. I got the stresses of a mortgage, a kid, a, a marriage. I got the stress of school and trying to support everybody. I'm not doing any activity. Mm-hmm. And the one thing that comforted me all the time, made me feel good, was eating food. Yeah. And it wasn't good food. It wasn't like I was having a salad. It wasn't like I was eating, you know, a, a steak and some vegetables. It was eating the McDonald's. It was mm-hmm. eating the junk food. And I'd go to the store. We lived right beside a shell. So I'd go to the store and I always it had to be something chocolatey something salty, something sweet, and a drink. Yeah. So I'd have to get the, the, the holy trifecta, right? <laughs> so a chocolate bar, a bag of chips, and a bag of five-cent candies. And a bag of five-cent candies, I do that twice a day Yeah. with 30 or 40 candies in it each, right? So I always had this this draw to this really great sweet food, like the delicious, <laughs> delicious things. Delicious, right? delicious. And then you're what sitting there breakfast? and watching TV. What about breakfast? Um, Did you eat breakfast? Not a lot, a lot when I eat breakfast, I, even in high school and stuff. Well, okay, so in high school, I would eat breakfast. In high school, I would eat a big bowl of cereal and another big thing of peach juice. And so by 10 in the morning when I'm feeling sick, I never really realized why. And I realized <laughs> it was because you're eating this crappy food yeah. every day, right? And after high school, though, I never really had much for breakfast. And the reason why is because after I started getting a bunch of weight, I was diagnosed with sleep apnea. Mm-hmm. And so I wake up in the morning, I'd feel like crap. I'd get a, I'd a headache. I'd still feel half asleep because I wasn't sleeping at night. Yeah. So let's talk about that part of it. Let's talk mm-hmm. about sleep apnea and, and that situation. So the sleep apnea was one of the worst that the doctors had ever seen. So I'd wake up in the middle of the night gasping for air, not breathing. And so I did a sleep test um, for a few nights and they monitored my sleep patterns. And so some of the things that came out of that was, um, so what they said was, on average, eight times a night, I would stop breathing for three minutes or more at a time. That's insane. So when you think about holding your breath for three minutes, mm-hmm. and you do that around eight times a night, 
Yeah, like so you could barely do hour, that going over the bridge. You could, right? exactly, we're driving over the Portman Bridge, and I could barely <laughs> hold my breath for two minutes. So you do that now eight times a night, and the blood cells that you're killing, well, you do that. This explains everything. Right, exactly. Now you wonder why I'm, you know, what I am. And, and so on top of that, 45 times a night for 30 seconds or more. So even 30 seconds when you do that repetitively all night, mm-hmm. plus add the eight minute or eight times, three times each time, you're... You're waking up in the morning deprived of oxygen yeah. all night, gasping for air, not getting a good sleep. And you wake up in the morning feeling like garbage. You can't operate, can't function. In fact, when I had a job, when I was working outside sales and I was selling windows, um, I basically had to stop doing that job because I could not get up in the morning and work. Like I just could not function and operate. So I decided to go to school instead, right? I thought, okay, I'm gonna go to school. And realizing later that the reason why I did this is because I could not function in the morning. And that's where my job took me. Like. Guys doing construction, you get a hold of them in the morning. It's the best time to get a hold of the guys. And I just could not do it. So the, the funny thing and the interesting thing is, is you go through this whole pattern of all this and you think to yourself, like, shouldn't this drive you to fix the problem? Yeah. Shouldn't this drive you to get in your head and realize what the heck is going on with your mind and, and change things? But it really didn't. It made me comfort myself more. Yeah. Right? And then, so I go to a point where... I get married at 25 and I get up to, th- to just over 400 pounds. I get up to 403 pounds and now I'm sleeping with a machine on my face every night. I feel like, remember that old cartoon, The Raccoons? Yeah. So I felt like one of these guys, mm-hmm. right? So I had this big thing on my face all the time every night. I travel for work. I had to bring it with me. So half my suitcase now is a sleep machine. Mm-hmm. I had to bring limited amount of clothes because they were so friggin' big. I couldn't fit it in my suitcase hardly. So, you know, traveling and stuff for work and that traveling for work is a whole nother story. So we can get into that in another episode and mm-hmm. talk about all that. Um, in fact, one of the episodes we have coming up is going to be talking about living as an overweight person and as an obese person, right? So we're, we'll get more into those details later. But for me, so now I got this and I'm still not changing. Like I'm still not looking for a way to fix what the problem is. So I get up to just over 400 pounds and there's a few things that happened that finally triggered in my mind that I needed to fix what was going on here and fix what my problem was. So Number one was my uncle who I was really close with, my uncle Jeff, um, he passed away um, from complications of obesity. He was well over 500 pounds for many years. And him passing away was one thing to me and one trigger to me that I needed to figure something out with my life because I was heading in the same direction. I was going to be there, right? And he had issues for many years, cellulitis and and all these other things that were caused from obesity. you know, I was, even though I was over 400 pounds, besides the sleep apnea, like I was relatively healthy, high cholesterol, high blood pressure, things like that. But like, I didn't have a lot of the physical ailments that a lot of overweight people do. Um, you know, the sore backs and things like that. I had obviously sore knees. Um, I was pre-diabetic. Okay. So okay. maybe I lied. <laughs> yeah, maybe you're, I lied. You're pretty maybe healthy. I was pretty I mean, unhealthy. Like, sounds like a pretty healthy person. Yeah. yeah no, I was yeah. tip top condition. Yeah. Top notch. Top notch to this in here. Um, <clears throat> No, and I start thinking about it, and, and that's actually totally true. I start listing these things now, and I'm like, wait a sec. I was so unhealthy. It was ridiculous, right? It was, it was ridiculous. So anyways, my uncle passing away was one thing that really triggered me. Um, my friend Steve passed away as well from a heart attack. He was a lot healthier. He had heart attack quite a few years previous. Um, he was in his mid-50s, and even though he was healthy, it still really made me think and really made me realize that there's a lot of other issues that I have that I need to fix before I get to that position yeah. and where I'm like worried that every day I'm going to have a heart attack. You're not, yeah, you're not guaranteed. I'm going to jam out anytime, yeah, no exactly. matter what, right? So I need to start working on that and working on myself to get to the point where I don't have to worry about that every night. Um, Steve passing you, it was a little bit later on in the story, but it really kicked and ignited me again to re, to, re, to redo um, <clears throat> this health kick, basically, and the fitness stuff. So... I was introduced to keto uh, from some friends and they said, look, you can eat steak, you can eat bacon, you can eat eggs and cheese and all this stuff on this diet and you can lose lots of weight. And I said, this is fantastic. This is great. <laughs> so I'm like, let's do this. Um, my wife and I at the time, we looked into it for a while, probably six months, did some research on it, really studied it, waited until we were ready to do it, finally got into it and it was fantastic. But a year and a half and I lost 120 pounds. It was great. Um, felt like I'd never felt before. Felt great. Um, and then we had a Christmas. We went to families for Christmas and we thought, let's just have a good Christmas. Let's just eat what we want. 
it'll be one week let's do whatever we want and not worry about it we get back from christmas we're right back on it again mm-hmm. that christmas lasted a year yeah right of eating whatever and i gained 80 something pounds back right so before that when you were doing keto for that time before that did you have any cheat meals or cheat days or whatever or were you like pretty much no, i was pretty much right on the ball pretty much how right long, on the ball how long would you say that it took you um from when you started keto that first time to like stop craving things because i think that's the thing is like yeah. it is like there's such a an addiction and it's like the second you, you get back into that again like there you go it's a slip that's exactly what happened yeah so it was probably 60 to 90 days two to three months and the i, I stopped craving the sweets i stopped wanting to eat all the time. I stopped wanting to sit around at night and just eat food. I stopped wanting to stop on the way home to eat before I went for dinner and ate. Like, um, it probably was about two to two and a half, maybe three months. And that was completely gone. All the sweet cravings were gone. You know, cherry tomatoes felt like candy at that point. Mm. Like cherry tomatoes felt amazing, right? Um, just things like that. But it took, yeah, it took about two to three months. Cherry tomatoes are disgusting, so... <laughs> Well, you know, I guess if you don't like them, you don't like them, right? But anyway, to me, like the sweetness of it just felt so sweet when yeah. you stopped eating artificial sweet. Yeah. When you sure. start eating, stop eating sugar and stop eating those things, right? Um, and I think I should go back. Actually, there was another situation that happened that really made me think about why I wanted to lose weight mm. and all that kind of stuff. I know we're getting long in this episode, but I think it's important to touch on a lot of these things. Um, okay. I remember you, you, you cracked a monster at 10. Yeah, at we're good. So we're now 1120. We're rocking and rolling here. Um, one of the things that happened was, um, after my uncle had passed away, my uncle could only shop from king size stores. He could only shop from big man stores basically. Mm-hmm. And after he passed away, my grandparents actually gave me his King XL magazines and said, Hey, you may, there's something in here you may want. They want to order some clothes from here or whatever. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think the reason I bring this story up not to blame anybody, obviously, um, was that that was probably one of the first times in a long time where I realized that people saw me exactly as I saw me. Because I always I always saw myself as the bigger guy, the biggest guy. Mm-hmm. Nobody in the room was bigger than me. Not in a good way. I wasn't proud of that, obviously. But it was probably... And nobody really like nobody sat there and says, hey, you, you're a big guy. Yeah. Except for little kids once in a while. And, and, you, right? and you spend so much time trying to hide it. Yes, and like you think you're you're succeeding right you pull your shirt out a little bit so it's not tight against your stomach or you stand behind people in pictures or you sit a certain way to try to hide it or mask Mm -hmm. it things like that and so in your mind you kind of think you're doing a good job Mm -hmm. right you think you're hiding things like that but at the end of the day you know nobody's a fool right everybody can see that you're 400 pounds like nobody you're not hiding 400 pounds what size were you wearing at that point at that point i was weighing 5xl sometimes four but 5xl i was wearing a size 48 pant I got into a 50 at one point. We went bowling one day. <laughs> we went bowling one day when we were away for, out of town. And I bowled for the first. It was like the very first <laughs> shot. And I split my pants wide open. Okay. And those were a size 48. And so the only place that had pants that fit me was Mark's Rick Warehouse. Mm-hmm. So I went out of Mark's Rick Warehouse. I bought what I call fat man pants. <laughs> because at that size, you don't get designer stuff. You don't get nice colors. You don't get to pick what you want. You get given what they have for your size. So I had a size 50. I still have them. I had a size 50 in one of the ugliest denims you'll ever find, but that's all they had. And I yeah. didn't have any other jeans, right? So you're like, these with, are going to go great with my Argos. These will go great with my Argos shirts. I tell you, these are going to be the pinnacle of fashion right now. <laughs> Ladies, stay away. Okay. I'm looking good here. I'm hiding in the pictures so you can't see me, but my Argos stands out. Anyway, so... Um, but I remember that point in time where my grandparents gave me those magazines and said, you may want to order something from here. There might be something you want. And realizing that I am, I'm huge. I'm huge. I can't <laughs> yeah. order. I can't go to American Eagle and find jeans. I can't go to the Gap and find a shirt. Yeah. There's no way that happens. So I got plain colored t-shirts with a pocket and I got the ugliest pants you could find, right? And some Argyle. And <laughs> so that, that's what you do. You just take what you can get. You don't go look for things that you like, mm-hmm. right? And, but that, in my head, that, that messed with my head because now I'm thinking to myself, people actually see me the way I see yeah. me. And this is, this is bad. This is bad news, mm-hmm. right? And so, so many little events and so many things like that that happen in your life that make you think and make you realize that you, you have a major problem. Mm-hmm. But it takes a lot of those things cumulatively. And some people never get to the point, but it takes a lot of things to realize that you need to change, mm-hmm. right? And 
you don't need to keep comforting yourself with food. You need to do the opposite. You need to shun that food or shun what you're doing. Start being more active and start eating properly and do something. Like just do anything. Go to the gym, go for a walk. Go take five minutes to go for a walk and get out and get some fresh air. Rather than sitting at your desk scrolling the internet at lunch, go for a five-minute walk or mm-hmm. ten-minute walk, right? Start somewhere. Start somewhere. You have to start somewhere and you I have think, to drop something to do something else. Yeah. Right? I think for like the longest time too, like it's almost like you're in denial. Like people do point things out. Like I know you said like grandma or whatever mm-hmm. saying like oh you should go for a walk or whatever right. grabbing your that's right exactly go for a walk exactly and instead of thinking you know what maybe i should go a walk you're just like i'm freaking offended you that's know? right you're i'm just, not going for a walk just, i'm not going for a walk because you walk. want me to I'm offended. yeah i'm not doing that and so you do the opposite of that it's i'm grabbing a bag of chips yeah so yeah. like this doesn't grandma. bother me right you know and then you pretend that it doesn't but that those words right. just ring in your head so yeah, growing up, I mean, when family and friends or something like that, as a kid, it happens a lot more often than as you're an adult, but it, you know, your siblings and stuff calling you names or whatever and, and making fun of you. And that's what siblings do to each other. That's mm-hmm. what they do. But a lot of times they don't realize I'm a 40 year old guy and those things stick with you. Right. I remember those times where my brother's calling me chunky, he's calling me fat, telling me to lose weight. Like as a kid, um, those things stick with you for a long, long time. Yeah. And so I, I, some of this, I guess, is around just treating people the way that you want to be treated because those things stick with a lot of people. My other grandma on the other side of the family, you know, she, for a lot of years, her way of thinking she's going to help me lose weight is by saying, by grabbing my stomach and saying, you need to stop eating and go for a walk. Mm-hmm. Right. And exactly what you said. No, I'm going to go and I'm going to sit down and have a Coke and I'm going to have a chocolate bar and yeah, I'm going to sit makes and watch you the just show. Want to do the opposite. Exactly. Right? makes you want to do the opposite. And so that's why in a sense, going back a while here, I commend my mom for if that was her mindset, which, I have no idea if it is or not. It's the way I took it. But if it was her mindset of, I'm going to help by trying to get him to do something mm-hmm. different by not saying, hey, you're fat, go do this. Mm-hmm. By saying, hey, let's get you into these courses. Let's try. She never mentioned once in my entire life, hey, you're overweight, you need mm-hmm. to do something. Not it's once. It's more like trying to educate you. Right, and that's great. And I commend her yeah. for that and I appreciate that a lot, right? Um, so, and and even my grandma, my other grandma squeezing my belly and telling I can't get mad at her for that. That's whatever. It's my own fault for not taking it seriously for a lot of years. Yeah. It's my own fault for, in my head, taking the opposite road. Do you right? think there's anything anyone could have told you in any sort of way differently that would have changed your mind, though? Or um, do you think... I think a lot of it's a timing thing. Yeah. You have to be ready for it yourself. You have to have something happen to you that makes you ready for it yourself. I don't know because I never was presented with that. So... When it came to the point where our friends were like, hey, we found this situation, we found this diet, we found this health lifestyle, whatever you want to call it, that really looks like a good opportunity. I was ready at that point because of other situations that right, had happened. If they came to me three years earlier and said that, I probably wouldn't have even paid attention yeah. because I wasn't ready. Yeah. So I think a combination of things. Yeah, the way that you present it, the way you bring it to people is really, really important if you feel like you want to help somebody. But at the same time, no one can... You can lead a horse to water, right? Yeah. But you have to be the one that's ready to do it for your own self. So I've always advocated and I always say that you're you're worth it 100% and you need to find out that value for yourself though. And I'll tell people all day long, you're worth the effort, you're worth the time, you're worth the, the change of behavior. You're worth all those things, but you got to figure that out for yourself, yeah. right? And people can only tell you so long. Um, so yeah, so anyways, we went for Christmas and we ate for a year. Right, we had a one-year Christmas. Yes, and then at the end of that year, again, it was like right around the next Christmas, and how much did you gain over this? A little over eighty pounds. So I lost one hundred and twenty, gained back about eighty-five pounds. And when I looked at the scale finally at the end of that year, I was horrified Mm -hmm. to see that I was back up again to like three hundred and eighty pounds or whatever it was, three hundred and whatever somewhere around there, three hundred sixty, seventy, whatever. I have it all written down on a big chart. I just, I just, at the top of my head, I don't have it. But was there a specific moment where you were like caught yourself again? Yeah. Or were you just like totally spiraling that entire time and not even thinking about it? Like, were you like, holy crap, I'm putting on weight, but I'm just going to ignore it for now and just keep. Yeah. I think the whole time it was like Monday. Monday, I'm going to start again. Monday, I'm going to start again. And I think what it was was finally getting close to the next Christmas. I thought last Christmas was a disaster. I cannot let another Christmas go by and continue to do what we're doing. Mm-hmm. I can't do it. I can't do this for... And so it, it was a January 1st resolution thing. And I know that New Year's resolutions sometimes are BS or whatever you want to call it. But 
it was a New Year's resolution thing for me that this year now is going to be the year. That was 2019. It's going to be the year to do this. So again, kickstarted it um, and went hard at it. And, and no cheats for the entire year. Went the whole year pushing myself. Um, part of it was getting a trainer. Part of the way through the year, I, I got a trainer to help me um, put together a program that I could start getting those those habits of physical fitness. So mm-hmm. I had the food part down. I knew that ke- the ketogenic diet worked for me. And I had that down pat. I hired a trainer to help me with the physical fitness part of it and basically to develop routines and develop habits that would last with me and stick with me. Um, and so a little, little shout out to Darren Peel, who did a fantastic job putting together a program for me that allowed me to, to really stick with it. Uh, five days a week, went to the gym. And then over the course of that year, basically lost back another 100 pounds over the course of that year. Um, 120 probably. I should have had all these numbers down here, but, um, and then of course last year, you know, lost another 60, 65 pounds last year. So overall total, um, from 403 now down to 216, 217. So 185, 187 pounds I've lost total. Um, but a huge part of that obviously is not just changing the way you're eating, but it's changing the mindset on how you react to circumstances and situations and not, going back to the comfort side of it and going back to um, getting that relief or that comfort from a source that's actually causing more harm than good. It's causing you to spiral again. It's causing you to... to, And this is something that people don't understand if they've never had a food addiction. Mm-hmm. You know, people will say, you can put whatever you want on your diet. You can eat whatever you want. Just, just got to eat, gotta, in, moderation. eat it in moderation. Yeah. But that is completely... For someone who doesn't have a food addiction, if you do, I can't go right now and buy a bunch of five cent candies and eat them and think that that's all I'm going to have and I'm going to continue on because it's like an alcoholic. They don't just go to the bar one night and have a bunch of drinks and then for the next five years, they're fine and never have a drink again. Like It's those triggering things that cause that, like that taste of that sweetness of those candies on my, on my tongue is going to cause me to go, well... Two hours later, I can have some ice cream because I've already had candy. And then tomorrow it's the same situation. Mm-hmm. And the next week it's the same thing. And it keeps going. But so many people don't get that it's, if you've never had a food yeah, addiction. Yeah, because it's, it's an obsession. It is. It's, it's an obsession. It's an everyday thing. It constantly goes and it constantly goes, right? Um, so anyways, yeah. there's And that is something that a lot of people don't get. And I see a lot of nutritionists and I see a lot of people out there who say you got to get active you got to do your thing you can have your cheat deals you can have your cheat meals no problem you just got to continue on the path and can you do what you're doing but it's really easy to say that if you've never had a food addiction before if you've always been good with food if you've always been okay with food or had a healthy relationship mm-hmm. with food but if you've been unhealthy with food and you've you've had that be your comfort more often than not like on a nightly occasion or if you had that every day and you're constantly thinking about food, if you drive to the drive-thru and eat three burgers or two burgers on the way home to dinner, mm-hmm. just because that makes you feel good, and then afterwards at night going and having a bunch of candy and chocolate bars and sweets, that's not a, that's not a healthy relationship with food. And, and also, if you've never had that, you don't understand. in that moment, but right. then you feel sick and disgusting you afterwards, do. but yet you, you continue garbage. to keep on doing it. Like yeah. that, that is a problem. When you're doing something... When you're basically harming your body to the point where you're feeling ill mm-hmm. and then you wait for that to pass and right. then just continue to do it over and over again, right. there's something seriously wrong. Like this, And that's, that's the addiction not, part that's of it, the right? Addiction part of it. It's like drugs, alcohol, yeah, it's like smoking, it's like everything. Is, yeah. You know, it's like smokers at the end of the night, I'm never smoking again, I'm done, this is my last day, yeah. and then two days later they're smoking again. Yeah. Because it's not just it's not just a, a, a simple mind change, it's not mm-hmm. just a mind shift. It's not because sugar does the same thing. Sugar, I don't know. We should have done our research on this. We should have had more sugar, stats and specific. Sugar, yeah, does the same thing that freaking cocaine does, like right. to the brain. Like it does. It, it triggers your endorphins. Yeah. It makes you feel good. It gives you comfort, and it 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 gives you that spike of mm-hmm. adrenaline. Really, it does. If I go and eat a chocolate bar, full sugar chocolate bar, right now, and some candies, like I feel great. I feel for for, for fifteen for minutes. Fifteen minutes. And you're like, until, oh, geez. Now my gut's hurting me. I got a headache. Yeah. You know, anything that's causing that is obviously a problem. It's mm-hmm. obviously an issue, right? Um, I don't know if there's anything else I wanted to really touch on in this here. I think... Do you... What do yeah. you think... I mean, at this point, like, what do you think it keeps you going? Like, how... Like, do you feel like you're changed forever now? Is this... 
the yeah. way you're going to eat for the rest of your life. Yeah, Do actually, you... I, that's a great point. Yeah. yeah. I think for me, definitely is. I think, and the reason why I say that is because of how I feel when I eat a low-carb, sugar-free diet. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I honestly have never felt better. I've done HCG diet before where I was eating 500 calories a day and I still didn't feel good. I lost well, a bunch no. of weight on that. I still didn't feel good. No, you're starving. I still felt gross, starving yourself. You know, I did Atkins before. Tried the Atkins diet before. Still didn't feel great. It's very similar to the low-carb thing, but in a different way. Didn't feel nearly as good as I did. Didn't didn't solve the, the sleep apnea problem. Didn't solve the headaches. Didn't solve the addiction. Didn't solve the cravings. Um, for me, not having that insulin spike and crash all the time, not feeling the highs and the lows when you eat, mm-hmm. always feeling stable and not feeling like food is controlling you and controlling your life, to me, is worth always doing it this way and always eating this way. Um, you know, I've been able to, we've been able to find some snacks that we can have to make us feel like we're having treats, to make me feel like I'm having a treat once in a while, sugar-free snacks. Um that make me feel like I'm treated, having my, my treat. Yeah. But yet I'm not a slave to those things. Like mm-hmm. if I sit at night and don't have them, I'd have no, no problem with that. I'm not stopping every day to get them. I'm not eating them in the car every day. I'm not going through, well, I eat spits quite a bit. Like spits is a great thing to have, right? Sunflower yeah. seeds. Um, but I don't feel like I'm a slave to food anymore. And if I don't eat a dinner, I don't care. If I skip lunch one day, it doesn't bother me. Whereas before I couldn't go without doing that. There's no way I could skip lunch. So I have to eat lunch twice. <laughs> Right, <laughs> whatever it might be, you know. So for me, I have no problem living with very low carbs and no sugar, mm-hmm. you know, all all the time. Like sugar to me is one of the worst substances you can eat because, like I said, it's an, it's a legit addiction, and there is nothing healthy about eating sugar. There's nothing good about eating sugar. There's no positive that comes from eating that, and you can tell the minute you eat it that that's the case because of the feelings. Like for me. Everybody may not be the same, but for me, I get a headache within 10 minutes of eating sugar. I feel like crap. My stomach hurts. Um, I feel, um, I just feel down. I just don't feel positive. I don't feel good. I feel unhealthy. I feel heavy when I eat sugar. So I don't eat sugar. And for me, I'll incorporate a little more carbs, like as far as, you know, different fruits and vegetables and things like that, probably. Um, You know, adding a banana here and there, things like that. But in a healthy way, not going back to eating like yeah, some that's candies at night. Yeah, that's, that's the big difference, difference like for me. Sugar as far as what's in a banana. You're mm-hmm. not going to be like eating a banana and then like, holy crap, like I just need to eat this whole, what do you call them? A bunch. bunch. I'm not eating seven bananas. A tree. A, yeah. tree, a tree of bananas. Tree of bananas. <laughs> I'm not eating banana a tree of bananas tree. either. Let me tell you that much right now. Um, but yeah, I, mean, I can eat a whole bunch of bananas because I have a sugar addiction now, yeah, right? Like, exactly. I it's feel like I beat that addiction, yeah, but alcoholics do that. They don't go, if you go back to it, that's when you crash. Yeah. Right, so I feel like I don't want to get back to that point where that's just a part of my everyday life, feeling like garbage because I'm eating that. Again, there's zero positivity that comes from eating sugar. So what's why, mm-hmm. right? And there's zero positivity coming from a Monster Energy drink either. It's a it's a low sugar. There's zero sugar <laughs> there's nothing, in it. There's nothing yeah, positive there's nothing good there. For you in there. I find it's delicious, <laughs> and I don't get a crash on it. I don't get hyper on it. It doesn't hurt my stomach. It doesn't give me headaches. So I'll have a Monster every once in a while. Okay. So that's the way that that's goes. Fun. You gotta um, do whatever you gotta do. The thing is, is, is it's about sustainability. You can't. It's about sustainability. If, you know, if you're gonna have a monster at ten thirty at night, then you're just gonna have to do that, um, as long as it's not sending you down some depressing spiral of. And the nice thing about drinking a monster, this is totally off topic. The nice thing about drinking a monster at ten o'clock at night is that it's got taurine in it, and taurine actually reacts to the caffeine and actually brings you down rather than bringing you up. So I don't get a hyperactive activity on. Um, monsters actually bad for pre-workouts bad for actually getting energy because it does the opposite so it's not it's it's just delicious you heard it here right from the scientific side of it what else should we talk about real quick before we wrap up well i just think like all in all like what's what's changed in your mindset now as far as like your body image and your just just the way that you talk to yourself and okay. all of that. Like, so yeah. that's a great question. That's a really good question. I still have, I still have body issues. Absolutely. I still have body issues. I'm not going to lie to you. I still feel like I'm an overweight guy. I still feel like I'm a bigger guy. So right now I'm about 218, 217, somewhere mm-hmm. in there. It depends on the day and what time I weigh myself, whatever. Um, I still have body issues. I still have loose skin. I still mm-hmm. have all that kind of stuff. Um, 
five weeks from now, I do have my surgery coming up, my skin removal surgery coming up. Um, so I look myself in the mirror and I still feel, I still feel gross. I still feel like I'm not where I want to be and where I'm at. Um, a lot of that comes down to having the man boobs still and having the loose skin and stuff like that. And I still feel like, like a guy shouldn't have breasts, right? And I still feel like I'm less than other people because of that. Mm -hmm. And it's a mindset that I'm still trying to change and still trying to shift. I still feel like um, I have a lot of work to do still. Mm -hmm. And yes, I've come a long way. I've done a lot of things and I've changed my mindset. I've changed a lot of things. But that pot, that that body image of myself is still there. When I get my surgery and I get all that removed, am I, is that going to change overnight? No, I know that it won't. There'll be other issues and other things. But I'm continuously working on those things and trying to realize that I've come a long, long way in my health, in my fitness. I've come a long way in changing and becoming more healthy, really. Mm -hmm. And I need to take positives out of that and understand that I probably extended my life by 25, 30 years yeah. because of what I've done, almost yeah. 200 pounds. Um, so I am, I need to be positive that way. I need to look at it that way as well. There is still image, image issues there and I'm still working on that, but I do believe that I've, I'm, I'm resolving that issue with the food addiction, which mm -hmm. is the biggest thing for me. Um, and I do believe that I am getting to that point where um, I am healthier in mind and body. And that's the, that's the big thing for me is extending my lifetime and also enjoying my life better, yeah. having more fun. You know, I'm able to, get up and jump around with the kids. I'm able to go run down the street and not feel like I'm going to pass out. Yeah. I'm able to, you know, sleep. sleep at night and wake up like I felt like I've got to sleep mm -hmm. and I was able to sleep and, and not waking up with a headache every morning. And, you know, so there's a lot of positives, obviously, and mostly positive to come. I still do have issues and I, in my own mind and I'm still working on those things and, you know, I will be working on them for a long time, mm -hmm. but, you know, realizing that I've come a long, long way has been a, a big thing for me. And looking back and realizing that there's a lot of steps along the way, a lot of things along the way that caused me to feel less than everybody else and feel like I wasn't as good as everybody else, a lot of that stuff is gone now. Yeah. A lot of that stuff is, has been wiped off the mat. I feel like I'm just as valuable as anybody else because I've put in that work and I've put in the effort mm -hmm. in my mind and in my body. Right? You've lost like an entire person, basically. Yeah, so. it's true. Yeah. You be proud of yourself for that. But I know it's difficult to have that loose skin as a reminder that, yeah, you're still, like, it's, it's like I'm you still do there. all this weight, you do, you do all of this to, like, lose all of this weight, yeah. and yet there's still this reminder that every time you take your shirt off at the freaking beach or yeah, whatever, exactly. that yeah. everyone's still looking at you like what... Just in a different way now. Yeah. Yeah. It's still, you still feel like everybody's looking at you, everybody's staring at you, everybody's judging you. Mm -hmm. Do I care as much about that judgment? No, yeah. because I know in my own mind and in my own head that I've, I've done a lot of work to fix a lot of issues, um, but that is still there. Like people are still watching, people mm. still look at me, people are still noticing that, right? And so I'm still working on those kind of things, and I will for a long, long time. There's no doubt about it. So, um, it's interesting because as we go now into a bunch more episodes later, we're gonna get dive deeper into a lot of these little things, yeah. a lot of different pieces of our lives. Mm -hmm. Next episode is going to be your life story and how you went about growing up and all those kind of things. So I'm really interested to hear more about that. Um, but as we go through more episodes that we have planned, we're going to dive deeper into some smaller pieces of our lives and get really focused on some of the emotional and some of the, um, the head stuff really, yeah. and where that's going to go. So we're, I'm excited about that and diving into these little pieces and parts of our lives. And hopefully that helps somebody else and hopefully that continues to help us mm -hmm. by getting it out in the air. So any wrap right. up? I don't know. I don't, I'm This is about you. You yeah. have anything to say? What's your mantra? You said the other day you had a mantra. My mantra, my mantra to me and to everybody else would be that you're worth it. All right. That's my mantra is that you're worth it. That the effort that it takes, the time that it takes, um, sometimes kicking your own ass, it's worth it. It's all mm -hmm. worth it when you can look at yourself at the end of the night and say, hey, I did a good thing today. I did, I, I skipped on this, and I skipped on that, I went and did a walk, I went for a bike ride, whatever it is, you're worth all of those things. And you'll forever thank yourself for putting in that effort, putting in that work. So I commend you if you're working on yourself and doing your thing, I commend you. I commend you for listening to this and getting through it. And, and if that helps you to be a little bit better, it helps you to do something, then, you know, then I commend you, you're worth the time and effort to, 
to get to that point in your life. All right. <laughs> All right. That wraps up this episode. We're getting like the red light here. We're getting the red light. Like, we got 30 seconds here. 30 seconds. And otherwise we're going to cut you off. So, yeah. so I guess, I don't know. I think that's a good, it's a good way to end. Way and then end. we'll dive deeper into other things later. Mm -hmm. All right. Have a wonderful night. Toodaloo.